This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Well, this was very interesting. Just a few days ago, Callista Gingrich, the U.S. Ambassador to the Holy See, hosted the opening session of the Abrahamic Faiths Initiative, or AFI, at her residence. She described the initiative as facilitating discussions among faith leaders to advance peace and mutual respect around the world. But my next guest says this initiative really is just submission to Islam. So we're going to get some thoughts on it now from Islamic scholar Dr. Andrew Bostom, who's written about this over at frontpagemag.com. He's also the author of The Legacy of Jihad and The Legacy of Islamic Anti-Semitism. Dr. Bostom, always great to have you with us. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. Tell us what this Abrahamic Faiths Initiative is all about. I don't like the sound of it, but tell us what it is. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, really, to cut right to the chase, it is It is capitulation to, to an Islamic worldview. Um it's obviously it's an ancient worldview, uh, you know, rooted in the Quran, rooted in the commentaries on the Quran. That that in fact Islam is the primordial monotheism, and uh, Judaism and Christianity uh, have no claim to that role, and 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 they kind of lost the thread uh, of it. Uh, which and and, and it, to single out a, a one verse, uh, there's there's a series of verses, but from Quran three sixty four, so the third surah, the sixty fourth verse to the sixty eighth verse, but the but the singular verse is Quran three sixty seven, which which literally says that Abraham was neither a Jew nor a Christian. Um, he was a he was a Muslim monotheist. Um, and and then the next verse, uh, 68, says that in fact it's Muhammad and and the Muslims that have the real claim uh, to Abraham. And you know it's not a minor theological point when you start to look at everything that's been attached uh, to, to to that idea uh, that 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 the Jews and Christians literally corrupted their faith, sub- attempted to subvert it, Islam when it emerged, um, and then. Fast forward to the to the modern era. Uh, there was a um, Alazar trained uh, American professor of Islamic studies and the history of religions, uh, Ismail Al Faruqi, who taught at uh, a number of American universities, but but spent the last roughly twenty years of his career at Temple University, and he came up with this Abrahamic framework, again rooted in this idea for interfaith uh, dialogue, and. Some of some of what and, and he was not just a, a theoretical guy, giant. He he literally worked with the World Council of Churches, with the Vatican itself, wow. and effectively insinuated um, uh, his his ideology. Which, unless you read it, you know yourself and read it carefully, um, it's 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 it it can sound more benign than it really is. I mean, in the end, it's a, it's a supersession of both Christianity and, and Judaism, and, and as as a, as a Palestinian of, of, of uh, Palestinian descent, he was extraordinarily um, hateful towards what he called Zionism, and and literally saw the Abrahamic interfaith process as a means to to delegitimize and ultimately destroy and de-Zionize uh, uh, Israel. 
uh, and incorporate it back into what really sounds like a global, you know, Islamic state. But but one of the things that he says um, that's, that makes it very clear, he says he says it was this uh, Islamic idea. He's very clear about this in in what's perhaps his seminal writing. It's called Islam and and other faiths. Um, and he says an Abrahamic unity of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam based on the Hanifi religion, and he cites um, uh, Quran 367 of Abraham, in other words, this pure monotheism. Um, and it, it did, he, then he goes on to say it did, in fact, exist in the Muslim world until Western imperialism, colonialism, and Zionism came to subvert it. Now, there's no... There's no confusing what that means. He's saying to literally go back to the classical triumphal age of Islam, and yes, that's 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 the that's the paradigm for for Islamic uh, dialogue. Yeah, and so wow. you know, my my mentor Badur about this a long time ago, and basically, you know, she says, look, you know, what are you, what are you saying in the end? That you know, it's it will it's great. We'll we'll have one global religion, and that religion will be Islam. That's it in a nutshell. Right. Well, you you I, I still am hung up on this claim that Abraham was a Muslim. I mean, are you kidding me? You go back to Genesis 17, and God makes the covenant with Abraham, and and right. says, I'll make many nations of you, and I will establish right. my covenant between me and you and your descendants, and it's an everlasting covenant. Uh, Islam didn't come until much, much, much later. How, how well, in the world they, do you do argue. this? Okay, so so what they argue, what they I mean, it's an argument. Human beings can make up all kinds of arguments. Right. So what they argue essentially is that, well, you know, you don't get the evolution of the Torah, you don't get the evolution of the Gospels till till way after Abraham. So how could he be? So how could he be? You know, the progenitor of, of Judaism and Christianity. It was just this vague sort of primordial monotheism and oh by the way because of all your misbehaviors over the intervening years until muhammad arrived he's the only one who got it right oh sure that's really what the argument becomes jeff good grief that i mean that's just it's not even historically accurate i mean that's insane that's insane so you have this new abrahamic faiths initiative and this was put together as i understand it by this nonprofit called the multi-faith neighbors network now i wasn't too surprised at some of the names of the organizers of this one of which is bob roberts jr he's been mr useful idiot for years Mm. now everything he does is submitting to islam in the name of interfaith cooperation and all this i i I feel to see, though, what's in it for Christians and Jews. What is it? I mean, we're not the ones who are going around committing jihad. Why do we have to? I don't get this. Well, exactly. It's 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 it's, you know, and in the end, it doesn't become humorous when you start to incorporate this into uh, what Faruqi, the godfather of all this, after all, really wanted. Um, Faruqi is adamant that 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 he brooks no criticism uh, of Islam. And, 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 and so what I've come to call the Faruqi rules for, for interfaith dialogue along the lines of this Abrahamic model means that you have to have these submissive Christians and Jews that accept, you know, how wonderful Islam is. So, so for example, that precludes any discussion of how the Sharia is sanctioning this incredible persecution at some, some of it at genocidal levels across the Christian world. So what is the purpose of the dialogue, if you can't discuss that, what is the purpose of dialoguing with with uh, this Abrahamic faith model, which delegitimizes uh, Israel, which delegitimizes Zionism, and which feels basically, according to Faruqi, that 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 the Jews should be reincorporated in, in, into into a global Islamic state? I mean, this is what the ideologues of this 
you know, uh, really, really believed. Uh, the other thing that was striking to me was that one of the co-signatories to this document that came out last February that was signed between uh, po- uh, uh, Pope, France, uh, Pope Francis and Ahmed Al-Tayeb, and, and uh, you know, and, and we've talked about this a number of times. Yeah. And he's a grand, current grand imam of Al-Azhar University, viscerally anti-Semitic, and even openly called, again, how could he be co-signing on to this ecumenical document? He openly called for the killing of those he referred to as unrepentant apostates from Islam. Ugh. So how can you, uh, Calista Gingrich singled him out as, uh, and singled out this document as being so seminal in this process. And you have to ask yourself, you know, is this willful blindness? Um, are, are, are people just ignoring, um, uh, you know, what, what, what this is really based upon? I, I don't understand it anymore. And, and the fact that Ambassador Brownback yes. is involved with this Ugh. makes me very suspicious because, because again, my mentor began, um, began uh, teaching him, uh, Bakhtia Orr. I, she was at a hearing with him in 1997. This goes back, you know, 23 years now. And I actually asked her about this. I said, I said, how could it possibly be that he doesn't understand this, this Islamic supremacism? And, and she's very blunt. She said, he, he understands it. He understands it. So then you have to ask yourself, why are they participating in this? Yeah. That, that's more than a little disturbing because Sam Brownback has been somebody that we've looked to for, you know, having the right ideas and being able me to too, understand. Yeah. Janet, me too. Ooh. Me too. It's very I, I upsetting. And, and, and look, you know, Newt, now, now this is his wife, and, and if yeah. he knew about this, I'm sure he wouldn't want to embarrass her, but, but Newt gave some excellent discussions, which got him in a lot of trouble, about the, the nature of the Sharia. Yeah, tell you what, hang on a second. We do have to pause for a very quick break. We'll pick it up on the other side, though. Dr. Andrew Boston with us. What is this Abrahamic Faiths Initiative? Submission to Islam is what it is. We're going to come back on Janet Meffer today after this. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up with Liberty HealthShare. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, Liberty HealthShare is not insurance, so you can still sign up. In fact, you can sign up any time of year, and there are no contracts. Starting as low as $199 a month, Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles, couples, and families, so you can choose the ideal program for your situation. Plus, Liberty HealthShare has no network, so you're free to pick your own doctors, hospitals, and providers. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Go to libertyhealthshare.org JMT for more information. libertyhealthshare.org JMT. To me, the ultrasound was the best part because up until that point, I did not think about anything but myself. I did not think about the blessing that I was given or what was inside of me. The Ministry of Preborn meets young moms where they are and introduces them to their preborn babies. Because when a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears his heartbeat, eight out of ten times, she will see her baby as a living person, not an inconvenience. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. 
Would you join with Preborn and Janet Meffer today? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies' lives. Call 855-402-BABY now. 855-402-2229. That's 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, I do find this very disturbing, so of course I wanted to let you know what's going on here. Callista Gingrich, the wife of Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, is now the U.S. Ambassador to the Holy See and recently hosted the opening session of what is called the Abrahamic Faiths Initiative. This was organized by a U.S. nonprofit organization called the Multi-Faith Neighbors Network under the leadership of Pastor Bob Roberts Jr., who's been very involved in interfaith stuff, Imam Muhammad Majid and Rabbi David Saperstein, who was formerly with the International Religious uh, Freedom um, Organization. And, and now you've got Sam Brownback supporting this, who is the current U.S. ambassador at large for International Religious Freedom. Uh, Dr. Andrew Boston is with us, who's written about this at frontpagemag.com. You had mentioned before we went to the break that Newt Gingrich has had stuff to say about Sharia. So, you know, Newt Gingrich knows better as well. I, I wish he would talk to his wife a little bit about all of this. Yeah, and obviously, you know, uh, it's a delicate situation. I, I, I mean, I, can, I, I can't, I can't believe that on one hand, if it was, you know, and Newt's all over the place. I mean, you know, it's kind of got right. ADD, but, but, but I mean, if it were brought to his attention and focused, like if this discussion happened to, you know, be brought to his attention, I, I, I think he would be upset by it. I, I think he understands enough about about Islam and certainly about the, about the Sharia. But on the other hand, for heaven's sake, it's his wife. I mean, it's a very embarrassing thing. You get into you know, interpersonal relations at that level. It's just, I, I don't know. It's, but, but the whole thing has been so alarming to me. And, and then the other thing that gives it away, Janet, is that this is all being focused in the United Arab Emirates, which hmm. is, you know, one of these Gulf states undergoing rehabilitation of its image. Um, and as soon as um, this document last year, this, the, the document that was signed in Abu Dhabi between Pope Francis and Grand Imam Tayeb, uh, the UAE announced plans uh, for a, an entire series of structures to be built to commemorate this this seminal document on an island off Abu Dhabi, it was quickly bid out, and I think the construction has begun. But but I love the way you get reminded of what this is about. It was quote ordered by the despot of, of UAE <laughs> that this be built, and and so it's clearly an Islamocentric thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's being it's being driven by by the by the by the Muslim world. You but, will and, cooperate. And, <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, yeah. And, but but I just I, I don't understand. Look. Dialogue is fraught with difficulties, you know, real-life difficulties, differences. The idea that somehow you could paper everything over by essentially submitting to an Islamic-ordered way of dealing with dialogue, and that's really what this is. I mean, this is pure uh, Ismail al-Faruqi, getting getting back to what he said, which, again, brooks no criticism uh, of Islam, but is very anti-Western, anti-Christian, anti-Jewish. It's just, it's just absolutely mind-boggling that, 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 you know, again, if there's, if there are real issues to discuss. There's Christian persecution. There's, there's this endless jihad against Israel. I mean, those, and, and there are things, you know, what, what communist China is doing to the Uyghurs. There are, there are issues to discuss. Um, but when it comes to Islam and Judaism and Christianity, 
you know, the burden is on Islam. No, I, right. Real. Right. You got to talk about the elephant in the room. Well, well, let's talk about some of these other people who are involved in this network, because this Imam Muhammad Majid, he was yeah. the executive imam of the All Dulles Area Muslim Society Center in Sterling, Virginia, the chairman of the International Interfaith Peace Corps. And this one really raises a red flag. The former president of ISNA, the Islamic exactly. Society of North America. You're talking Muslim Brotherhood here. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 so and so you know the 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 um and 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 when you oh oh all people have to do is and and I urge them to just go ahead. I ex- excerpted a lot from Faruqi. Um, you know, call call him call him an official Muslim brother or not. Uh, I mean, he he is he is um he, he is very very hardcore about reestablishing uh, an Islamic uh, state, and he's talking about. You know, he says he says from from the from the Atlantic Basin to the Malay Basin. I mean, this is really this is this is caliphate stuff. Mm. And um, he says that an Islamic state whose constitution. I mean, this sounds very Muslim Brotherhood. An Islamic state whose constitution is the Quran, whose law is the Sharia, and whose constituency is only partly Muslim, <laughs> extending <laughs> from the Atlantic to the Malay Basin. And what he says so perversely, this is what struck me as a Jew, was that was that you know he. he all, all religious persecution, of course, is, is Christian persecution of Jews, and, and, and the Jews should come back to this idealized Islamic state, again, going back to the Middle Ages or whatever, uh, and, and basically live as dimmies. He even uses the word dimmies oh, in, in, no. in his writing, and he, and he idealizes this. Oh. I, I mean, and the idea that, so, so you've got it from your end, with the Christians participating in yeah. it, but I have it from my end, too, with the Jews participating in it, who are literally being told that... You know, by the ideologue of all this, that oh, it was great. The Dimmy condition was great. Come back to it. It's much better than Christian persecution. Yeah, and you know, I, I, it's crazy. And you know what never really seems to happen in any of these interfaith dialogues is Christians and Jews sitting down and saying, we need to stop your terrorism. Can we talk about your terrorism? You're, you're wiping people but no, out. But, but Janet, under this rubric, that becomes anti-Islam terrorism. Oh. So the jihad terrorism, according to this narrative, is anathema to Islam. And moreover, you know, when it's when it's when it's directed in, in a way that the Jews and Christians might want to complain about it, you know, vis-a-vis Sharia sanctions against them, that's off the table. That's verboten. Well, no Those wonder the Faruqi rule. Yeah, no wonder this is submission to Islam because they set up what you can't talk about, and the exactly. dimmies go along with it. Okay. Exactly. And, what, exactly. And, and something else that really bugs me, I was looking through this Abrahamic Faiths Initiative statement that was on the website of this multi-faith neighbors network, and, and, and they talk about pledging to stand together in the wonderful mutual solidarity, blah, blah, blah. But one of the last bullet points in this says to pray to God and seek divine guidance in our efforts to promote justice, peace, and respectful coexistence. We don't have the same God. I mean, obviously, Christians I, and Jews yeah. believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They have a different God. Which God are we supposed to be praying to here? But that's but that's part of the, that's part of the whole perversity of this. That that we, we don't we're 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 praying and we think we're praying to this Judeo-Christian God, but we're really praying to Allah. And after all, that that just brings it back to Islam. You know, because because we misunderstood the message from the very beginning, and Abraham was really a Muslim. It all comes back to that in the end, Janet. My goodness. Really now, does. where do you see, you mentioned all these different statements that have been signed, and Pope Francis has signed things, the Abu Dhabi statement and so forth. 
Where is this all heading? Because people have also pointed out, well, the Vatican would like to bring everybody under the Vatican and you've got Islam wanting to bring everybody under Islam. What is going on, do you think, with the interest in interfaith dialogue? Is there a, a broader agenda than what is meeting the eye here? Yeah, well, then you, st- you, you, start to, you start to open up another whole can of worms and suspicions when you look at, at, at the hard left investment in all this. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, in the end, you know, <laughs> Islam will always be at loggerheads with the hard left, with, with communism. But, but, they, but they often work together <laughs> for, 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 for as a contingency for a while and then have to duke it out in the end. Right. When, when, the, re- when the rest of us lose. <laughs> right. You know? I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, it's just it's it's just toxic though. Look, I'm all for uh, you know I, I'm I'm like Trump when it comes to these matters. Although he's been unfortunately, it looks like he's been he's just delegated and he's been sucked into this. But 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 in real politics, when you know when he talks about wanting to talk to Iran, wanting to talk to, it's fine to talk, but. But 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 don't give up who you are just to have a conversation. Right. I mean, that's crazy. Right. Right. I, I, I just I don't like the sound of this whole thing. I don't like that the U.S. ambassador to the Holy See is kind of all on board with this. I think this makes yeah. a lot of people nervous, really, really nervous. You have all of these big actors coming together. And a lot of us still remember little events like 9-11. And we understand exactly. not all Muslims are terrorists, but I'm tired of that caveat, frankly. We have a gigantic problem of Christianity. Christian persecution around the world. We have threats being issued daily against Israel. Come on, off the table. Yeah, that's that's what's so that's what's that's what's so dangerous about this. Uh, you, you know, uh, you know, Faruqi is very clear. He he, he says uh, in in his in his key dialogue sort of statements. He says uh, from Islam and other faiths. He says compared with the histories of other religions, the history of Islam is categorically white as far as toleration of other religions is concerned. Nothing is farther from the truth and more inimical to Muslim-non-Muslim relations than the claim that Islam spread by the, by the sword. So in other words, that's off the table. Wow. You can't talk about the painful history that, that, that Christianity uh, endured on, under the jihad conquest as, as, if you're involved in this dialogue. That's off the table, and, and that translates into not being able to talk about the jihadism that's that's slaughtering Christians now, right? Uh, or the or the endless jihad against Israel. I, I mean, this is this is why it's so perverse. It, 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 it should be stopped in its tracks. It is. And I I get a little irked at the whole reference to Abraham being twisted because they're saying in this document, as members of the family of Abraham, we stand in solidarity. What are you talking about? Again, that is that is to me, you know, it's sort of it's not as blunt. It's not as blunt as 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 how a Faruqi would would state it. Uh, or, or how, or how uh, again, one of our favorites we like to talk about, the late Grand Imam uh, Tantawi. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's very clear. He, he glosses uh, Quran 367. Uh, this noble verse mentions Abraham and exposes those unbelievers from the people of the book, you know, Jews and Christians, who claimed, who claimed Abraham was a Jew or a Christian, as it shows that unlike Abraham, it was they who were polytheists. Uh, you know, and and again, he, 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 they, they they forsook the truth and went after their lusts and desires. We're not deserving, really, of this monotheistic tr- tradition the way the Muslims and Muhammad were. That's just insane. That, that, that's that's that. I mean, and this is again, this is this is an iconic figure 
from modern Islam. And, and you can, again, I, I did this, I drilled down on, on, on the major Shiite commentator, on the classical commentaries. This is just the Islamic perception. It's been incorporated and, and, and modernized in specific context of interfaith dialogue by Faruqi. He was a seminal figure in organizing all these, these group uh, get-togethers, whether it was the World Council of Churches or the Vatican itself, dating back to the 1980s. And here you are, just about 40 years later, 35 years later, and it's in our face. And here it is. You can check it out, Why Abrahamic Dialogue is Submission to Islam. Check it out at frontpagemag.com. Dr. Andrew Bostom, thanks again for your great work, Dr. Bostom. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, you take care. We'll be back. Stay with us. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, as you've heard, Virginia passed the Equal Rights Amendment, becoming the 38th state to do so recently. But the problem is that the deadline to ratify the ERA as a constitutional amendment expired back in 1982. In fact, even Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has now said that the process of ratifying the ERA needs to start over. And yet this comes as the House is poised to revive this long dead ERA by repealing that deadline and permanently reopening the ratification process. Can they even do that? Well, we're going to get some thoughts on it all from Students for Life Action President Kristen Hawkins. Kristen has been spearheading efforts for the last year to prevent the passage of the ERA, which harms women's interests, but can provide a constitutional hook for abortion, which is absolutely horrible. But it's great to have you with us, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about how the ERA is even back, given that it was dead many decades ago. This is quite a trick on the part of the left. It really is. And the funny thing to think about is this was dead before I was born. <laughs> uh, in 1982, the time limit to ratify the ERA Constitution expired. And this was after an initial time extension had already been given to its proponents. Right. And so you know, it fell five states short, three states short, actually, of ratifying. And in, in that time, five states actually since 1982 have actually gone back and said, we don't want this. They've actually rescinded their initial ratification for ERA. This is, I mean, largely this is just an attempt from the abortion movement. They are, you know, in a state of panic about what what's going to happen with Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, the two decisions that legalized abortion. And they are, you know, just really just trying to figure out in desperation, how can they enshrine abortion into our Constitution and how can they force us the taxpayers to pay for abortion. I mean, if you if you all remember, in 2016, the DNC actually changed its platform. It's, its Democratic position now is now officially calling for taxpayer-funded abortions to yeah. repeal the Hyde Amendment. And so this is just one of their attempts, their desperate attempts, to get abortion enshrined into the Constitution, knowing what, what they see is coming and what we see is coming is that a reversal of Roe is imminent, that we have five pro-life Supreme Court justices. 
if President Donald Trump is reelected, we'll have more pro-life Supreme Court justices. The decision will eventually be reversed and a vote will go back to the states where states will get to decide. And the abortion left does not want you or I to be able to decide abortion policy in the United States because they know what the outcome will be. Well, that's right. Now, it's kind of interesting to me. I was reading this Politico story about the ERA fight, and they quoted Representative Carolyn Maloney, who's a lead sponsor of this House bill proposing a new ERA. And Representative Maloney was saying, well, what are these arguments in opposition to the ERA? They're no longer relevant because women are already in the military. They're on the front lines. We've got co-ed bathrooms. I'm like, well, okay, you answer why ERA is relevant then. Isn't it, isn't it on the left side to go, why do we need it then if we have all of these? these women's rights. Exactly, exactly. And we have more than 800 laws that have been passed to protect women's rights, to say that women, we can't be discriminated against in the workplace or education, you know, in, in schools. But this is, this is why it's all about abortion. In fact, yesterday, I was sent a list of all the national abortion leaders, their own words, their own words about ERA and why ERA matters to them. And it is all about abortion. That's why, quite honestly, we've renamed it. It's not the Equal Rights Amendment. It's the Everything Related to Abortion Act. And we have their own words to prove this. That's crazy. How would they do this, Kristen? How would they do an end run around, you know, what people want in federalism? I mean, like you've pointed out, if Roe v. Wade were overturned, it would just throw the question back to the states. That's the constitutional way of dealing with it. What's the deal? How would they even get this done if they if I know they want it, but how would they do it? Well, judges. I mean, think about how the abortion industry does anything they want to do, how they end, end run around all voters in states. When states pass laws protecting women and babies from abortion, they go to the judge that they have a relationship with, they've paid off, and then that judge it suddenly invalidates that law or puts an injunction on that law. And so what they're doing is they want the House of Representatives, when they're voting, to say that the time limit was unconstitutional, It's not going to gain any traction in the U.S. Senate, thank goodness. Um, But they're going to try to make a legal argument. The DOJ, Department of Justice, came out last month saying that, you know, definitively the ERA is dead. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, not a pro-life advocate by any means, she came out at Georgetown Law this week saying, yeah, it's, it's dead. It needs to be revived if you want the ERA. But what was really telling is the president of Femis Majority Network, which they're not the majority, it's hilarious, their name, (laughs) Ali Shamil said this last summer. She was asked the same question, and her answer was very enlightening, and I think it's something that conservatives need to pay attention to. They know there's no legal way to do this. But what they're hoping is that they, they get a public outcry. Hmm. They're hoping that women across America say, wait a minute, ERA is not ratified. I'm not equal to my husband. I'm not equal to my son oh my gosh, we need this. Right. And so what they're hoping is this This goes through, they make a big deal, they're going to make a big deal about it, and that, that women across America say, wait a minute, we need this. And then that it starts the momentum to repass it. And it'll be done quickly. And GOP legislators who you know are afraid that women aren't going to vote for them in the election will just quickly pass. I mean, we've had to talk to many GOP legislators in the states who are going to pass, who are going to vote for ERA. Oh. Uh, and so we went to them and said, look, 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 
look, it's not this innocuous thing. It's it's really the everything related to abortion act, yeah. and they're and they're trying to fool you here. Good, and that's pathetic that those guys can't even get their act together and no. see through this. <laughs> My goodness, as if every single woman is that gullible. I mean, look at Phyllis Schlafly for crying out loud. Women had a clue back in the seventies and eighties, and mm-hmm. listen to what she had to say. My question too, Kristen, is how can Congress amend the deadline? How does it even have the authority to do that? It's actually pretty murky, and a lot of people don't have a good answer to this, Janet, because this, this isn't something that happens a lot. You know, we don't pass constitutional amendments a lot. And so there's, there's actually a lot of questions in D.C. about could just one unelected official in the House, like the House historian, could they go back and amend it? Uh, so this is simply a resolution where they're going to say, we recognize that the 1982 time limit was unconstitutional, and there, never, there, there aren't Aren't time there aren't time constraints on amendments because the, the the Constitution if you read the Constitution you know it, it, there's not a lot of detail there um, and so you've got to use you know prior case law right. um, but we've already have the we already have the decision from the DOJ the Attorney General obviously um, knows that this is just a farce um, but I, I I think we as conservatives need not to take this lightly or say oh this is just a, you know a dog and pony show. Yeah, it, it is. It is for show. But what they're hoping is that show leads to action. Yes. And we can't just not pay attention to this because that's what they want. They want us just to ignore this while they slowly bring this up. I mean, last year at the State of the Union and this year at the State of the Union, members of Congress, female members of Congress were wearing white and they were wearing ERA now buttons. And this is when the, I started getting questions from friends of Capitol Hill. They're going, wait a minute, why, why are they wearing these buttons? I'm like, this is what they've been working on for years, right. but no one's been paying attention to it. Well, I'm glad you are. And you know, how much can you act not in good faith? I mean, when you mentioned you weren't even born in 1982, <laughs> how can you suddenly take all of these states that ratified the ERA back then, an entirely different generation of people, and all of a sudden say, today's people are the same people, so it just stands. It's it's insane. What are you encouraging listeners to do, Kristen? I just want to make sure that we can get involved before this thing goes on in the House. So we we have a coalition of national pro-life and pro-family organizations, Concerned Women for America, March for Life, Live Action. We put together just a very simple website called exposeera.org. All you have to do is there's a letter on that homepage that explains why this is a bad idea that we've actually already sent to Congress twice. But if you hit the Take Action button, you'll be directed to our website where all you have to do is put in your phone number, and it will directly call you back on your cell phone, your landline, and patch you through to your member of Congress. Immediately, it literally, the whole process will take under two minutes. That's fantastic. That is really, really good. So you had said it's exposeera.org, and just click on that Take Action button, and you'll be set up, get right to your congressman, and be able to say no don't go for this. I'm really glad that you guys have mobilized people, Kristen. I'm so glad that you guys have gotten together to let people know about this so we can fight back. Kristen Hawkins, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Take care. We'll be back right after this.
Christians losing their businesses for not baking wedding cakes for homosexuals. Parents losing custody for not affirming their child's gender identity. Big tech censoring Christian books, videos, and social media posts. This isn't a dystopian nightmare. It's America in 2020. But what will God's people do to respond to the sexual radicals whose rising social and political power is threatening our religious freedom and our free speech? It's time for Christians to get informed about the looming threats that we're facing and learn how to respond as both salt and light. That's why I'd like to personally invite you to join me at our second annual God's Voice Conference, a biblical response to LGBTQ plus tyranny coming to Oklahoma City on April 17th and 18th. You'll hear from an unprecedented lineup of some of the leading Christian thinkers, pastors, pro-family activists, and medical and therapeutic experts who are fighting on the front lines of this battle and standing firmly on God's word in the face of growing LGBTQ plus opposition to Christianity. Speakers including Dr. Everett Piper, Joe Dallas, Dr. Quentin Van Meter from the American College of Pediatricians, and Greg Burt from the California Family Council will all reveal the social, political, and spiritual threats to the church from this movement. They'll offer powerful biblical teaching and encouragement for the battle ahead. You'll hear testimonies from ex-homosexuals whose lives were transformed by the power of the gospel and learn how to answer common arguments that promote homosexuality and transgenderism. Let me tell you, there's nothing else like God's Voice Conference to get Christians ready to stand in this evil day. So I hope to see you at the God's Voice Conference and outreach of First Stone Ministries, April 17th and 18th in Oklahoma City. And take advantage of our early bird discount registration, only $85 through March 1st. So don't delay. Go to godsvoice.us. That's godsvoice.us and register for a conference unlike any other. Go to godsvoice.us and register now. What the church needs now is God's Voice. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Do you remember when the Obergefell decision passed in 2015 and right away forward thinking people said well wait a second if you've just redefined marriage then what will keep this country from continuing to redefine marriage what will keep any sort of weird coupling from becoming just as equal as man and woman marriage because after all now you've said two dudes can get married two women can get married even though they can't You know, I stand on the truth of God's word. I really don't care what five unelected judges did in 2015 in terms of trying to alter reality. You can't alter reality. You can try, you can pretend, but ultimately you can't do it. So I look at this whole thing, it's a big sham. And hopefully this country will come to its senses if we last long enough and reverse the insanity that they you know, put upon all of us in 2015. But at the time, whenever anybody spoke about the possibility of a slippery slope, the gay activists just poo-pooed it. Oh, love wins. You guys are a bunch of dum-dums. You don't know what you're talking about. Nobody's going to do anything beyond this. All right, well, let's listen to this story now via Fox. Utah lawmakers this week unanimously approved a bill that would decriminalize polygamy among consenting adults, despite arguments from opponents who said the law could potentially embolden abusers. Despite polygamy being made a felony in Utah some 85 years ago, its practitioners still number in the thousands. Republican Senator Deidre Henderson, who proposed removing the threat of jail time for polygamists, said efforts to curb the practice have been largely ineffectual and in some cases have made matters worse. Really? Henderson said the law is a failure. It hasn't stopped polygamy at all, and it's actually enabled abuse to occur and remain unchecked. The law is the problem? 
If you have polygamy against the law, the law is the problem. The law doesn't do anything. Listen, the law only has teeth insofar as it's enforced. Yes. Her proposal to make bigamy an infraction rather than a felony has gathered significant support despite resistance from former members of polygamous groups. Henderson argues that law and the legacy of raids as recently as the 1950s has created a culture of fear that empowers notorious abusers like the polygamous leader Warren Jeffs, who's now serving a life sentence in Texas for sexual assault of these girls that he considered to be plural wives. Um, <laughs> I guess this is not a problem, right? And at the other end of the spectrum are modern consenting adult polygamists like Cody Brown of Sister Wives, a TV show that chronicles the lives of Brown and his four wives. Well, I would say that that was very effective propaganda, wasn't it? TLC just puts on this polygamous family. We're just like you. Love should be multiplied, not divided. That's one of the lines from that show. Look how wonderful we are. Look at our beautiful children. Look at how great life is for us. It was a big propaganda thing. You, what you do is you normalize something because people watch and they say, oh, those are good looking people. They're nice. They seem like nice people. What's wrong with polygamy? And then they went through a whole thing with the, the Browns lobbying to make it, you know, no longer illegal to be a bigamist. What, all we're doing again, it's back to the defining deviancy down thing. What, you know, who cares? You're living in a society now where you have how many millions of people cohabiting? So nobody even calls it living in sin anymore. Nobody even cares. You know, it's live and let live, baby. Just do whatever you want to do. If you're a throuple, be a throuple. If you're polyamorous, be polyamorous. If you're a polygamist, who cares? If you're gay, you want to marry a man and you're a man, that's fine too. When everything is okay, then you have chaos. And now they want to make polygamy nothing worse than just a traffic ticket. You think that's going to end well? And, and then we have on the flip side this story, and this is very distressing to me. You know that you had some South Dakota legislators who were trying to do the right thing to protect children who are gender confused from having this kind of invasive gender correction sort of medical procedures taking place with the permission of their parents. These people rightly recognize that you have kids here. You have kids here who are gender confused in many cases, but as the statistics have shown, about 90% of them who are gender confused under the age of 18 will outgrow it. And so these lawmakers rightfully said, we need to protect these kids. They may want something now, but they're too young to make that kind of a decision. And it's actually exploitative to look at these kids and say they should be making these kinds of life-altering decisions where you have body mutilations and hormone treatments and and it you know they can't reverse it in many cases if you have a sterilized kid that's it what are you going to do down the road when you finally say wait a minute i'm a guy i want a family well too late for you sorry you got caught up in the transgender medicine coalition and that's just the way it goes so here's what hot air had to say about this state legislators had been working on this new legislation designed to protect children who are gender confused from these medical procedures these include hormone therapy unnatural to their growing bodies puberty blockers and even surgery the legislation had already passed in the house but a state senate committee somehow decided to kill the bill before it could even make it to a floor vote and now you're probably saying to yourself oh Oh, those leftists. Oh, wait a minute. No, AP reports a Republican-dominated Senate committee voted 5-2 to two to kill the proposal, likely ensuring the issue 
won't be considered by the legislature again this year. Proponents already had amended the bill to get rid of criminal charges for doctors who provide gender confirmation treatments. Isn't that Orwellian? Gender confirmation treatments. Why are you having any treatments at all if you already are a certain gender? I'm a girl. You don't have to do anything to me to confirm that I'm a girl. You don't have to do any treatments whatsoever. I know that I'm female. Nothing you need to do about that. My voice is female. My body is female. Everything about me is female. You don't need to confirm it. It's confirmed. Just walk up to me, look at a picture of me, speak to me, listen to me on the radio. You know that I'm female. It's ridiculous. But these would include puberty blockers, hormone therapy, surgery, but it would have allowed children to sue if they later regretted the treatments. Well, you can't have that. You can't have that. This is a depressing turn of events. There are similar pieces of legislation being considered in at least 10 other states, but South Dakota, as they say, had been considered one of the states, both conservative and sensible enough to put such a law in place and to create a template for the rest of the country. Committee members offered little by way of explanation other than to say they were unsure if the legislature should be delving into the issue. Yeah, why would you want to protect little kids? I swear, I I don't know who these people are who are running for public office but I wish better people would run. This is insane. All you'd have to do is go down to a normal person on any given street in your town and say, do you think that kids ought to have body mutilating surgery when they're eight? You know, most people are going to say, no, of course you shouldn't be allowing that. How about hormone treatments? Do you think it's a good thing to block puberty? Yeah, no, no. You know, at the very least, you want to wait until these kids grow up enough in order to make an informed and mature decision. You know, I don't even like that. But, hey, let's at least find a baseline by which we can have a discussion with people who are on opposite sides of the question. But to just chicken out, because all of this chickening out is what is driving this movement. Everybody's scared. Nobody wants to seem transphobic. Nobody wants to get screamed at. Nobody wants the death threats from the big gay activists. They don't want to say, you know, that's all it is. And, and I was listening to somebody say earlier today, what you really need is you need big, organized pushback. That's the only way that these lawmakers are going to hear from regular people who understand how insane this is. The fact that they are just moving forward with this kind of insanity not only shows that they don't care about these kids, which they don't, but it shows that they care more about the opinions of leftist sexual radicals than they do about the welfare of children. And if you can't get it done in South Dakota, where are you going to get it done? It's crazy. As they say here in this piece, the fundamental rule in medical science is first do no harm. First, do no harm. How people are finding doctors willing to inject unnatural hormones into otherwise physically healthy children, block the natural onset of puberty, or even mutilate them through irreversible surgery is a mystery. It's not a mystery. Not if you understand big gay. Not if you understand propaganda. Not if you understand how intimidated people are, how scared people are, how they will roll over and die rather than stand up to these tyrants. What do you think is going to be the outcome 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now? I don't even want to think about it. It's like a Frankenstein's monster scenario where they're using these kids as human experiments. I'm sorry, but that's what they're doing. And it is child abuse. And I think there will be lawsuits down the road. And I hope they win these lawsuits. It is so important to make this point. Isn't it the job of adults to protect children? Why do we have 
parents and families because the kids are not old enough to make the kinds of important decisions that God ordained parents should make for them out of wisdom and love and maturity. And when we allow little kids who are confused to set the agenda, then you're going to have all kinds of chaos and we're all going to pay the price in some way, shape or form by accepting it. Shame on South Dakota. And every single one of those Republicans on that committee who killed the bill need to be thrown out. And I hope somebody will take on that cause because it needs to happen. We've got to leave it there. Thank you for being with us here on Janet Meffer today. God bless you. We'll see you next time. 